chapter 7. As you know, we have been coming through each book of the Bible and uh, laying out how Christ is portrayed in each book. We have, been do- we have not been doing a verse-by-verse study, but rather focusing on uh, how Christ is portrayed. But in certain books of the Bible, given where we're at and what we're trying to accomplish in our church uh, and some of the issues that are very prominent issues today, some of these things we have just kind of stopped and, and taught on so you could learn how to deal with it, learn how to understand it, uh, and uh, we got into 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we have been here now for several weeks, and we've been focusing on the New Testament teaching given to the church on God's viewpoint on how the church, which is the structure in our lives, is to deal with the issue of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Those three issues are, are, are really covered in this chapter, and it's a, you know, it's a really uh, something that everybody needs to learn, especially if you're going to work with people. I've noticed how and talked with many of you throughout the process of this, uh, many of you have been working hard to get all this material down and uh, get it into your Bible. And, uh, you know, if you notice that many of the people around you have a, a, a wide margin Bible, we call them, really a Bible with an extra area of space around to put notes in. And that's why, uh, and the reason why we do that is because we teach... Uh, that the greatest study Bible, and you can buy just about everybody's study Bible. You can buy a new Schofield, an old Schofield. Uh, you can buy a, a Ryrie. You can buy a, everybody's got one. But I guarantee you that uh, for the serious Bible student, the greatest Bible study, uh, the greatest study Bible that you could ever have will be your own. What God gives you and you putting it in there as God shows you and teaches you the Word of God. That's really what the Bible basis class is all about. You in time will take the things that we're going to talk about next week and you're going to incorporate them into your Bible in a format that you, every time you open your Bible, it'll be right there in front of your face. And uh, that's how you learn and you just keep seeing and understanding how those things work. And, you know, we talked about the aspect of, of a prepared servant, being ready to uh, deal with issues that God puts you in uh, where you work, in your own family maybe, or wherever. And certainly, uh, there'll be no greater issue that you will be faced with today and have to deal with than the issue of uh, people that are, are getting married, people who get divorced, and then struggle with the aspect of, of remarriage. And I'm going to give you a very easy format for 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's the way I break my Bible down. I, I'm a very simple individual. I don't deal with complicated things very well. And so when it comes to the Bible, I have to break it down in basic formats that I can grasp each section, much like what we're going to do with Bible basics. But this chapter basically breaks down into three sections, and I want to give you those three sections before we move into the third section today, because then we'll have a complete understanding of this chapter. Now, the first thing you should have down, and you want to remember, is that 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is the teaching to the church. In most churches today, if not all churches today, when you are faced with marriage or divorce or remarriage, they always go to Matthew chapter 5 or, or uh, Matthew chapter 19. And now we know that those are not passages to the New Testament church. Uh, nobody's even asking anything there about the subject. They're trying to entangle Jesus in his talk and the scribes and the Pharisees and trying to get him to mess up someplace along the line. So there's no interest there Uh, of learning anything about the Bible. No, the clear teaching for you and me as New Testament Christians is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 
And I want to give you these three sections here, and then uh, I'll show you how they, each one of them breaks down, and then we're going we're to move into the third one here. Now, section one, section one will be chapter seven, verses one through nine. Now, in my Bible, and you can do however you want to do it, I got those little parentheses coming down on, that encompasses all three of these sections, and I write in there section one, section two, and section three. So section one is going to be chapter seven, verses one through nine. Now, in this section is where he defines marriage. Remember now, uh, our study in chapter 7 is the concept from God's viewpoint of marriage, divorce, and then remarriage. So the first section, verses 1 through 9, is going to define marriage for us. Then we're going to find out that each section breaks down in subsections, and I want to give you those. Chapter uh, 1 and chapter 2, excuse me, verses 1 and and, and 2, deal with the gift of celibacy. And it talks about how that the aspect of saying single is something that everybody needs to understand. We're going to learn more about that today. Then verses 3 and 4, uh, we studied the context of what it meant to give uh, to each other due benevolence. Now we know what that is and how that that uh, is, is a key aspect. Uh, verse 5 deals with not defrauding your marriage. And we talked about how you'd, uh, people defraud themselves in a marriage and what that is. Fraud is deceit. In other words, your marriage is a fraud. It's not real. It's a deceitful marriage because it's not based on the principles of the Word of God. Verse 6 is one you want to mark in yellow and mark in red and probably purple, chartreuse, and every other color you can get because this verse tells you, one of the key verses here, that, that what you're reading here, that there's, this is extra stuff given to the New Testament church that's not found in the Old Testament. Verses 7, 8, and 9 uh, go back to the single concept again of uh, verse 1 and 2. And uh, in this section, we find our first two rules. So when you put your notes in your Bible along this one, you want to put rule 1 and rule 2 in this first section. The second section runs from chapter 7, verses 10 to verse 24. And uh, you're going to find that in this particular section, he deals with the uh, concept of divorce, where the first section defined marriage for you, which we now know as flesh joining flesh. In this section, he defines divorce for us, which is basically flesh leaving flesh. And uh, we go through that concept. You're going to find that uh, in this particular section, you have rule number three up to rule number 12. And, uh, you know, there's 20 rules here that we talked about. And from here, in this section, you have rule number three up to rule number 12. And you're going to find that, uh, again, it's broken down into verses. Verse 10 deals with the concept of a wife not uh, leaving her husband. And this is not in the sense of physically getting up and leaving, but in the sense of in her heart, you know, defrauding the marriage uh, by giving her heart to something or somebody else. And we made a great key point here that there's no reference to the husband doing that because the husband is never to do that because the husband in the marriage is, is the type of Christ and Christ would never leave his bride or separate himself from his body. We may separate ourselves from him, but he'll never separate ourselves from them. So that was a great key concept. Verse 11 dealt with the Bible aspect of a biblical separation. Uh, verse 12 uh, we start to see some examples. It talked about a saved man with an unsaved wife. And the Bible says that if uh, the uh, unsaved wife is pleased to dwell with a saved man, then stay together and work it out because obviously, you know, God is going to use the saved person to get the unsaved person saved. In verse 13, we saw the reverse of that 
We saw here we have a saved wife and an unsaved husband. Same scenario. If the, if the unsaved husband is pleased to dwell with a saved wife, then stay with him because you're going to be the avenue by which God is going to probably be able to do something in that marriage. Verse 17, 18, and 19, he gave us the example of circumcision. And we talked about this last week, how that it, you're not a Christian because you say you're one. You're a Christian because you do what the Bible says. That's really the theme of, of, the, of Christ being portrayed in 1 Corinthians, Jesus as Lord. And that's what we gave you the verse in Luke 6, 46, where Jesus himself said, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? And so, basically, we use the example of circumcision, uh, Paul did, the saying that in the Old Testament, the Jews were under the sign of circumcision. Uh, in the New Testament, the uh, Gentile nor the Jew, there's no circumcision involved. It's uncircumcision. But what he's saying here, that getting circumcised under the law in the Old Testament didn't make you God's chosen people. That was a sign of the covenant that God had made with Abraham and later on with Moses. No, what really makes you a Christian is not what you do, not the clothes that you wear, not how big a King James Bible you carry. Uh, none of those things make you a Christian. What really makes you a Christian is do you, when push comes to shove, do you do right or you do wrong? That's the mark of a child of God from the Bible's standpoint. Then we saw verse 20, 21, 22, 23, and 24. And we saw an at where he basically says, uh, in any given situation that you're in, given all the rules that we've studied come through so far, uh, stay where you're at. Let God work it out. If you, uh, if, if you uh, or stay, can stay in a marriage or you have to get a biblical separation, you know, stay where you're at. Let God try to work it out. And uh, he talks about the aspect of a servant, that uh, a servant uh, does not care who his master is because he understands that if he's saved, he's free in Christ. And you should not care about what circumstances you find yourself in because if you do what's right, God will always show you the path out of the situation that you're in. And that's a great concept. Verse 14, we find that God sanctifies a marriage. We looked at the word now that comes in sanctification. And uh, in this particular case of a, of a saved person, an unsaved person, God goes ahead and sanctifies the marriage for the children's sake, for the saved person's sake, for the children. And we talked about that. Verse 15 uh, basically is the aspect that after um, you're in a situation where um, either the wife or the husband won't do what's right and they continually not to follow biblical principles and they uh, not necessarily leave you physically by moving out but leave you emotionally and leave you from the attitude of heart that they no longer want to be with you, then the Bible says if the unbelieving depart, let them depart and then it says that a brother and sister is not under bondage in such cases. And we talked about that, and that was a great principle. And then in verse 16, or uh, yeah, verse 16, uh, he comes down here and he says, stay with the unsaved and get them, uh, that you might get them saved. And then I already gave you verse 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, but it goes on to the bottom of that. So that's how that second section lays itself out. Now, section three is where we're at today. And section 3 is going to be chapter 7, verse 25 through 40. And section 3 deals with the aspect of remarriage. And your rules number 13 through number 20 are going to be found in this section. And again, I would, I would mark out each section and label it section 1, section 2, section 3, put the aspect 
where section one defined what marriage was, where section two defined what divorce was. Now we come to section three, and in section three it deals with the aspect of remarriage. And uh, that's what we're going to look at today, and that's where we're at today. So we'll break down uh, these in the next verses here, and we'll look at it. Three sections. The one section defines marriage, the other section defines divorce, the other section defines remarriage, and then the rules and the principles that to go by. And uh, it's an easy outline. You want to get it into your Bible. You want to begin to put the information that we did. But as we come to this third section, personally, I think the third section is the most important section. Because, uh, you know, people, obviously there's good stuff in here if you've never been married to learn before you get married. Uh, if, you, uh, if you have a rocky marriage and you're having issues, there's things here that you do can fix your marriage. But many, many times in dealing with people, you're going to find people who are already married and are already are divorced or it's too far gone that, you know, there's nothing that really can be done. And I, we've covered all of that before. And so I think that this is very important because... In any church, in any congregation of people today, anyhow, in the world that we live in, you're going to find people that are in these situations. And uh, our job is to try to help them. And so what I'm going to do today is by coming through this last section is I'm going to give you eight things to consider uh, no matter what situation you find yourself in. If you're single and never married, then these eight things are for you to consider. If you've been married and you've been divorced and now you're unmarried, these things are absolutely essential for you to consider. And uh, it's just that, you know, it's just that simple. There's a word that we use today that everybody likes to use. You know, there's a, we've elevated words to another whole level here that people use to suggest ideas. And one of the words that's a big word today is proactive. You know, proactive means uh, get active before you have to uh, deal with something. In other words, make a plan. The Bible talks about that in the Old Testament in many examples. One of the great ones is with uh, back there when, uh, uh, when it, it lays example in one of the stories that you don't wait till your well runs dry before you dig another well. And uh, so we're going to be proactive today. Look at this in a modern 21st century proactive perspective. And uh, let's all become Renaissance people today and uh, get a rebirth of learning and knowledge and become proactive in our lives. I think that's wonderful. And maybe we'll hold hands and sing Kumbaya before we leave today. Who knows? But anyway, I want to read this last section to you here, and then we'll start coming through and making some comment on it. But here's what it says. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord. Yet I give my judgment as one that obtaineth mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man uh, so to be. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. And if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. And they that weep as though they wept not. And they that rejoice as though they rejoice not. And they that buy as though they possess not. And they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passes away. But I would have you without carefulness that 
uh, he that is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married cares for the things that are of the world and how he may please his wife. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, uh, but for that which is comely, and that you may attend upon, uh, upon the Lord without distraction. But if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age, and the need be so require, uh, let him do what he will. Uh, he sinneth not, let them marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin doeth well. So then he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment. And I think also that I have the Spirit of God. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you today. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus. And Lord, we love you. We ask you that you'll help us grasp this great last section. There's so many things here that we need to see today and great concepts that people need to take internally and then give it back out to other folks that may be struggling. Help me to lay it all out. Help them to accept it and to hear it and to take it and use it for your honor and glory. And we'll thank you and praise you now in Jesus' name. For his sake we ask it. Amen. Now you can see in this last section how it kind of jumps back and forth with things. And if you don't know where to divide it, like we have divided up the previous sections, it just looks like a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. It goes from one thing to another, and it's hard to follow how the thing goes along. But once you understand what he's doing in the chapter, then it's easier to break this chapter down, and that's what I'm going to do for you today. And we're going to take it verse by verse or verses by verse, however each thought is concerned. And we're going to separate these thoughts out, and then you see how it comes together in a whole concept. So you'll want to, you'll want to be able to you know, d divide this out and then use it uh, and then put it back into your Bible and then have a handle on it, being able to use it. Now, here's what he says uh, in verse 25 and 26. Now, concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment. Now, here's another place where there's nothing in the Old Testament law on this, that he's giving his judgment based on the reality and the revelation of the New Testament church, but he's telling you again that there's, this is something different than the Old Testament. Uh, yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for this present distress. I say that it is good for a man so to be. Now, this is rule number 13 here, and rule number 13 deals with a virgin, and this would be a person who was never married, male or female. And what he's saying here in the verse 25, and what he does is he covers all the bases again. When you're done understanding this, you have everything laid out for you that every base is covered. And now he's saying, and this would be in verse 25, which would be rule number 13, a virgin, someone who's never married, can marry whoever she wants as long as the person is a saved person. Now, and I say that in the sense that as long as you follow all the other principles that were laid out here. We're going to talk about that. But this particular rule number 13 is if you've never been married... Uh, you're free to marry whoever you want as long as that person is a saved person. 
And uh, that's what he's talking about. You want to make sure before you marry that person that uh, they can meet your, your, what we talked about, the due benevolence, your physical needs, your emotional needs, and your spiritual needs. And I guess if you want to put that in the right order, it would be your spiritual needs first, then your emotional needs, and from that would come your physical needs. You want to make sure that the person you marry, male or female, they have a good lordship relationship. That's their personal one-on-one, which leads to their, their, the next one, which is their, uh, their, their fellowship, uh, uh, and that'll include you. And then that'll, between the first two, that'll bring you to the right kind of relationship. So he's saying there that a virgin can marry whoever she wants, but under the guidelines that we've already talked about, you need, to, you need to understand that these are things that need to be in the person you're going to marry, and obviously they need to be a saved person. Then he, verse 26, I suppose therefore that this is good for this present distress. I say that it is good for a man to so to be. And this goes back to chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. And he's basically saying, don't jump into a marriage, and I know this is foreign for today in the world we live in, don't jump into a marriage before you consider the aspect of staying single, if that is a gift that God has given to you. And I know that that's not for everybody. If it's for anybody today, uh, it probably isn't, not with the world we live in. But what he's saying is this, the best advice that he's giving you if you've never been married, and you're going to see why here in a moment, The best advice he gives, if you're a virgin and you've never been married and you're going to get married, then get married right. Put the things in the dating, the the engagement, the marriage to make sure it's right. And then once you get it in there right, then do the things in the Bible to keep it right. And I go back to what I said uh, when we first started this, when it deals with so many marriages and why so many people get a divorce. When it starts wrong, it usually ends wrong. Unless God gets in it and you guys let God in it, it, it's headed for a disaster. And that's just the way uh, that it is. And I've seen many, many cases over the years where two people have done it wrong at the beginning, but somewhere in the process, they start wanting to do what's right. They both take it seriously. They both do what the Bible says within the Bible structure of the New Testament local church, and it can work out. But it's becoming a rare, rare thing as time goes on. Then he says in verse 27, and this is great advice, based on the information we've already had. He says, art thou bound unto a wife? Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek uh, not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. Now that's great practical advice. Based on what we've already got. And this brings up rule number 14. We've already understand how that if we're bound to a wife, that we're not the try to get out of the marriage. Uh, if you're already doing what needs to be done, then you stay with it. We've already covered that. But then he also says, if you're loosed, if you've gotten divorced, if you were in a bad relationship and now you're out of the relationship, then he says, seek not a wife. Now this brings up rule number 14. And when you put this thing all together, it doesn't mean that you can't ever remarry again. That's not what he's saying. You're going to see that in just a second. But now he's talking about the rebound effect. He's talking about don't get in a hurry. No rebound effect. Don't jump from one bad relationship into another bad relationship. Now, there's a cycle in bad marriages. Most people, uh, the epidemic of our culture in America is absolutely divorced. There's no question about it. 
most people, uh, like most things in their lives, they never break the cycle. And there's a cycle in everything in your life and my life. You know what you did when you got saved in a most basic format? When you got saved, you came out of the darkness into the light. You came from the world to a new life in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in John chapter 8, verse 44, that you and I, before we were saved, was of our father the devil, and the lust of our fathers he shall do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and it goes right on down the line, and it shows, tells us that the lust that we did before we were saved is the same things that associated with the devil. Do you really know what happened in the most simplest, basic form the day you and I got saved? We broke that cycle of sin in our life, didn't we? We went from out of the darkness into the light. And what you did was, in your own personal life, is break the cycle of sin that dominated you. You see it in your own individual life. You see it in families. Bible talks about God visiting the iniquity uh, of the children on the fathers to the third and fourth generation in the Old Testament. And when you understand that, how it fits into that, it goes into that same mindset. Families get into cycles of sin. And you see it all the time. Mom and dad got married back here years and years ago, and they didn't do what was right. They produce kids. They don't do what's right. They produce kids. They don't do what's right. They produce kids. They don't do what's right. And you've got four or five generations now, and the key is every generation from the first generation gets worse than the last generation that it was. And so you have mom and dad who have a terrible marriage. You have a girl that grows up into that terrible marriage. Maybe the dad's abusive. Maybe uh, they have a terrible thing and she sees that. She hates that and she wants nothing to do with it and she can't wait till she gets out of that relationship to be free from it. And then you know what she does? She goes out and marries somebody that's just like the abusive father that she had. You know why? You're trapped in a cycle. You and I were trapped in a cycle before we get saved. Families get trapped in a cycle in a a generational phase. And at some point, you know, I see it true in this church. I see some families in this church that the the families were, were good people. They just never had anything going for them. And they had all kinds of issues and they all had no problem. In some place along the line, you got saved. And when you got saved, you know what you did? You broke that cycle. And then you had an effect on your parents. You had an effect on your brothers and sisters. And what God did with you is he took you and he broke that cycle. And now there is a, there's a breach. Now there's a place that people can look to. And if other people want to break their cycle, now they have something to look at in their own family because you decided, I'm not going to let my marriage, I'm not going to treat my wife like my dad did. I'm not going to have that kind of marriage that they had. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what's right. And by standing up, you and your wife, you know what you did? You broke the cycle. And I see it all the time. It's one of the basic fundamental concepts of human life on planet earth that is so simple that nobody ever sees it. Who could not read the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and not know that all of life is a cycle? That's why his favorite phrase is there's nothing new under the sun. Why? Because the cycle continues and you and I are caught up in that cycle. And if you and I don't take the Bible, a supernatural book, and break the natural cycle of sin in our lives, Nothing changes. Nothing changes. 
And this is why you see daughter get married, produce more children who are more screwed up, and it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse, and it never ends. And this is why an unsaved man or an unsaved woman keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse, and nothing ever changes. The cycle. And this is also why many people get married time after time after time after time after time after time. And they actually deceive themselves into thinking that because it was the other person's fault, the next one will be okay. Let me tell you something. The national rate, a percentage of people who get married the first time, take a guy over here and a woman over here who've never been married before, and you get those two married, the national rate of divorce in first-time marriages in this country is 35% the first time. You know what the national average percentage is of second-time marriages getting a divorce? It's 60%. You know what the national average is on third-time marriages? It's 80% in failure. It doesn't get better. That's what the world tells you evolution is all about. We're getting better and better and better. No, the Bible says we're getting worse, worse, and worse. But we get this mindset. And you know what our problem is? We'll go from one bad marriage to another bad marriage to another bad marriage to another bad marriage. And we'll never stop and break the cycle. Because the cycle is what needs to get broken. And that's what he's saying here. He's not saying you can't ever get married. He's saying you don't get a rebound, man. Don't, get, don't jump from one bad relationship to another. Break the pattern. Now, I call this the Egyptian syndrome. I have a syndrome for everything in the Bible because I see all the Bible principles. You remember when the children of Israel come out of Egypt? They were in really bad shape in Egypt. They were under the oppression of Pharaoh who hated them. And more than that, the devil was behind Pharaoh who hated him even more than Pharaoh did. And devil's whole idea was to starve him to death, work him to death, and eradicate him under the bondage of Pharaoh. So Pharaoh would do things like he'd come out and they would make bricks. And they would make bricks with straw and stuff that they'd give them. And they worked in the brick climb where they made bricks. And then Pharaoh built all of his stuff with those things. Pharaoh would get an attitude. He'd go down and the tally of bricks didn't meet what he thought. Didn't feed him anything now. They're starving him to death. Whipped them with whips on their back because they didn't work hard enough. If your kid was sick, you went to work and your kid went to work. A terrible scenario to be in. And so, you know, they're down there and, and uh, Pharaoh come out and said, well, you know what, there's not enough bricks. Well, I'll show you what we're going to do. We're going to take half the straw that you need to make the number of bricks you didn't make today and you better make the number of bricks tomorrow that you should make with half the straw. You know what that's called in life? That's called a no-win situation. You know what the world loves to do to you and me? Put us in no-win situations. Let me ask you a personal question. Why do you exist in this world as a child of God, letting the devil and yourself put you in situations you can't win in? So God does what? God does what he does for you and me. Sends him a deliverer, Moses, Charlton Heston. <laughs> Somebody said one time, you ever, you ever see the movie The Ten Commandments? I said, no, I read the book. <clears throat> And Moses leads him out, takes him out on the way to the promised land. You know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of God 
breaking the cycle of sin in your life and then starting you on a journey. But you know what? That journey wasn't easy. And what happened was, if you study your Bible, the children of Israel didn't totally obey God when they left because they brought the mixed multitude with them. You know who the mixed multitude are? Those are your buddies and your friends that hate God, hate the Bible, and don't want nothing to do with it that you keep hanging out with, and they do the same thing with you they did with the children of Israel. They drag you back and hold you back, but you're too stupid to see it. Because the Bible says it was the mixed multitude when they got out there that started whining and complaining. It was the mixed multitude that didn't like Moses, the leader, anymore. They didn't like now the structure that God had given them. And they started infecting the people that God had brought out. And they started, you know, it's like that Bible says, evil communications corrupt good manners. And the manners in the Bible is the manner of person you are. And they began to get corrupted because the mixed multitude, they didn't care nothing for the things of God. They didn't care anything about the Bible. They had an attitude toward Moses. They had an attitude toward the structure that God gave them. And now it's infectious to God's people. And now they want to stone Moses. Now they want to go back to Egypt. Now they, they, they want to go. And what do they tell him? They say, Moses, we were better off in Egypt. All of the melons and the leeks and the garlic that we ate freely. Freely? You were under a taskmaster who crushed your father under the big stones and made the pyramids. You were under the taskmaster that whipped your back till it was raw to make his bricks. What you got freely was a short end of the stick every time you turned around. But ah, you see, with a passage of time, The more and longer you're out of a relationship and the more your emotions take over, your hormones take over. <laughs> you're all hormonious people. I love you today. <laughs> when you start to see that, you know what happens? You forget how bad it really was. Here's the people in Egypt that thought that, that, that all the slavery, all of the whippings, all of the beatings, all of the starvation, and now they're comparing it because they're out here. They have, time has allowed them to forget the misery they were in. And that's what happens in a marriage. When you leave that marriage and your emotions start kicking in and you get lonesome, and you really start to think, it wasn't that bad. What? It really wasn't that bad. What? <laughs> Why, well, you whined and complained how terrible it was, but you see, when the old emotions start kicking in, you really forget about the reality. And the principle here is, don't you get in a hurry. Don't you get in a hurry. Now, I'm going to give you seven things that you need to do to break a cycle in a bad marriage before you get remarried. He's not saying you can't get remarried. He's saying you better break the cycle or you're going to get right back into a bad marriage again. And brother, it happens, and that's why the average is 35%, 60% round two, and 80% round three. Now, here's why that is. 
The first thing you need to do to break that cycle that you don't get into another bad relationship is you learn what your issues are. You quit blaming you quit blaming him for your problems and you quit blaming her for your problems. And that's what always happened. Well, he's this. Well, she's that. No, you're both a piece of work. And the moment you want to break the cycle, quit looking at somebody else's sins and start dealing with your own. Exonerate that person from any part of the problem. Take full responsibility. Say, where do you get that? It's a book called the Bible. It's like that black with gold pages. Because that's exactly what Jesus did for you and me to break the cycle of sin. He knew no sin, yet he was made sin for us. He exonerated you from your sin and took it on himself. And he that is spiritual ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. You deal with your own issues. The very fact that you're impatient, you're emotional about it, and you have bad swings on it tells me right there you're not ready to get married yet. You don't have a handle on your problems. And you're going to go right into another cycle spin. You're going to go right into another relationship. You're going to find somebody that, that uh, can't ever meet your needs, but he's a warm body or she's a warm body. And they're what you need, their friendship, their fellowship, their snuggleship. Buy yourself a puppy. <laughs> I don't know if snuggleship's a word, but it ought to be. Now, the second thing is start to build your own lordship relationship. Now, I'm going to tell you a true fact of life. You can't build two intimate relationships at the same time. If you try to build a relationship with a man or a woman while you're trying to get your own lordship relationship and build an intimate relationship with God, let me tell you something. God will lose out every time. He'll lose out every time. He'll lose out every time because of the fact that he's here or she's here and God's not. And you haven't learned yet how to build that practical spiritual lordship relationship. And you're a fool to think if you can build two relationships at the same time on an intimate level. You cannot. You deceive yourself and you go right back to the same spin cycle because that's what you do. You just can't do it. These are the fundamental facts of remarriage. I told you the best was last. You have to start building your own lordship relationship. No question about it. Then the second thing, third thing you have to do is you have to get your, go out and buy yourself an aquarium. You have to get your emotions under control. I told you before, your emotions are like water. Water goes everywhere. Water without a containment will get wherever it needs to go. I can take this cup of water here and, and, and pour it inside that thing and it'll run out the rug, it'll get underneath the rug, it'll go up the wall, it'll go everywhere. You know, you know that's your emotion. That's my emotions. Now you take that same 20 gallons of water and go out and buy an aquarium that's got glass sides and steel framework, dump that same 20 gallons in that aquarium and the water stays within that aquarium. That, think of that glass and those structures as Bible principles that contain your emotions and don't let them go wherever they want to go. You have to get your emotions and your feelings under control. That's what got you in problems in the first place. 
Let me tell you something, folks, and I don't know how to tell you this. If you're going to do what's right in any aspect of your life, and I'm just a stock talking about this. If you're going to do what's right in any aspect of your life, let me just lay it out clear for you. You're going to have to quit doing it your way. Your way is what got you into problems. Your way is what caused every issue you got in your life. You're going to have to quit doing it your way. And for men, that's really tough. You know the biggest problem men have? Being in charge. You know why? Because we got the Tatasterson. We're macho. We like being in charge. We're in charge because Adam screwed up in the garden, so we're going to make her punish the rest of her life. We're in charge, so we like to think we're in charge. And there's nothing wrong with being in charge as long as you're submissive to Christ. But see, there's the key, isn't it? And a man's number one problem is he wants to be in charge. He just wants to be submissive to the Bible. He wants to be his own God. He wants to be his own Bible. He wants to be the Lord of all things, you see. And that's a man's problem. The woman's problem is her emotions. That's why a guy can look into her eyes and tell her whatever she wants to hear and she'll just run up the white flag and surrender. She's emotionally prone that way. And that's my point. You have to get those things under control. If you're going to do anything for God, you better understand that at some point in your life, you're going to have to stop doing it your way and start doing it his way. And modern guys can't do that. You know, it's like, it's like if you ran your own business for 50 years and you were the president and the CEO and you had 5,000 people working for you and you were telling people and firing people and hiring people and doing it all, and you set the office up there in a big penthouse on the top, you had a 1,000 people at your beck and call, and then suddenly you got to go down and work the job of a janitor. How do you think that worked for you? Well, let me tell you something, folks. That's exactly what it is spiritually. You may have been King Kong on the Empire State Building at one time in your life, but when you start to do what's right with God, you go to the janitor's basement. Work your way up. I know you don't like that. You think I like it? You don't see me no dress on me, do you? You don't see me getting my hair done, eyebrows waxed. I'm a man just like you. I don't like it any better than you. But you know what? I'm just smarter than you are. I just realized hitting my head against the wall wasn't going to get anywhere. A lot of you are like the kid that kept hitting himself in the head with a hammer. And the psychiatrist brought him in and <clears throat> sat him down, and the kid pulled out a hammer and started hitting him on himself on the head. I said, why do you do that? He says, because it feels so good when I stop. <laughs> That's where you're at. Well, I realized that it might have felt good when you stopped, but it just hurt again when you started doing it. But sometime in your life, you've got to come to the end of self. You've got to pick up the responsibility. The next thing you've got to do, the fourth thing, is you've got to get God's perspective on what a wife should be. And if you're a man, then you've got to get the perspective on what your wife should be in the Bible. If you're a wife, then you've got to get your perspective on what it needs to be. And it's in there. It's in there. It's in there. You may be surprised at some of the things you find. The fifth thing is you've got to get God's perspective on what a husband should be. And if you're a man, then you've got to get your perspective. Oh, that'll take some starch out of your sails. If you're a woman, then you need to find out because if you're going to find a perspective mate someplace down the line, you better get the right one. And the sixth one is you begin to put biblical principles to work for you that in time, this time, you'll marry the Christ in the man and not the man. Ladies, let me just tell you something. 
And you got to come to this point in your life at some point. Get your hormones out of the way. Get your emotions out of the way. Get all of the things that mess you up out of the way. Go get you an aquarium this afternoon. Start dumping your biblical principles in it. And just quit settling for a guy who will never be your spiritual leader and pretend he will. I don't know what to tell you. Fairy tales are exactly that. Fairy tales. There are principles that have to be put in play. And when they're not in play and you find yourself in a bad situation now, this is what he says, if you're loose from a wife, seek not a wife. Why? Because there's some things you better learn before you get back into it to break that cycle. Because you're looking for the third time around, 80% failure rate. God don't even know what it would be for the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth. I dealt with a guy one time married ten times. And every woman that married him thought he was the greatest thing in the world. Then the seventh one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, prove all things. Proper dating, proper relationship, engagement, proper marriage. It's just that simple. And this may take a while. It may take a while. And it's one of those things where, you know, you say, well, what do you do? I'll tell you what you do. You stay busy. Quit focusing on, I tell this to people all the time. It's my number one rule in life. It's the only thing that keeps me from turning into you. Quit focusing on what you don't have and start focusing on what you do have. Focusing on what you don't have will defeat you every time. That's not a biblical format. Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you do have. And let that thing carry you through. And you prove all things. You get busy. You get busy in the ministry. Help Kyle with what he's doing. Help me with what I'm doing. There's something needs to be done. Sitting around and whining because I'm lonely. Oh, you won't be lonely long. Then you'll be miserable again. Hang on. Bozo the Clown is right around the corner. Hang on, just be patient, and then you won't be lonely. You'll be miserable again. You're sitting there, oh, it wasn't so bad last time. Oh, I know. Oh, Moses, Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? We had garlic and leeks, and we had all of the stuff and onions to eat. That stuff just gives you gas, man. You know what? That's what a lot of God's people are today. Just a lot of gas when it comes to the principles of the Word of God. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this may take some time. It's, you know what? And I'm just telling you, it may take some time. And, uh, you know, you've done it your way long enough. You're going to have to break that cycle. And breaking that cycle can be the hardest single thing that you ever have to do. But it'll never go anywhere until you get off who you think you are And you break the cycle and quit being the CEO and become the janitor. All right, verse 28. Say, I don't like the way you talk, but you're going to like it less before I get through, I guarantee you. (laughs) Verse 28. Now, this is based on all the rules and principles that we've seen putting into context. These aren't helter-skelter principles. These are all based on what we've already seen. Verse 28 says, but if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. 
And of a virgin Mary, <coughs> she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. Now, rule number 15 is, if you've done it biblically, if you've followed all the rules, if you applied all the things like the seven things I just given you and you've proved the thing out and you have got the thing and the guy you're going to marry or the woman you're going to marry, you're convinced and proved it out and they're really within the structure and doing everything that they're supposed to do then, uh, and you found the right person, then you're free to marry. And he says, he says uh, you have not sinned, see? Now, this is in, in two situations. It's a divorced person. It's saying that a divorced person can get married and not commit a sin if they follow the things that already been laid out. Second situation is a virgin can marry. We already saw that. She can marry the first time and has not sinned, but she also, a virgin, can marry a person who has already been had a marriage uh, and they can go ahead and do that and they haven't sinned if you're following the rules. Ah, <laughs> But then the last part of that verse, nevertheless, nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. That's like saying, well, buckle your seatbelt. We ain't got time to talk about this. Bob will fill you in later. <laughs> such shall have trouble in the flesh. I spare you. Now, this is the single reason right here why second and third marriages have such a high failure rate. No question about it. Now, let me tell you something. This is, I'm, I'm giving you reality stuff today. This is not judgmental stuff. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I never look at, I've told you a million times, I don't look at anybody, whatever situation you're in, we can work it out. You've got to learn there are practical things in life that there are. And you better understand and you better learn them. If you want to drive home today and you decide to not take the main roads and you try to cut through backyards, you're going to get into trouble. Well, that's what's gotten you in trouble in your life. You've been cutting through backyards and stayed off the main roads, which are God's highways. I'm just telling you the directions. But you better realize some things. A second marriage will never be the same as the first marriage. It's just not going to be. I mean, there will always be issues that you have to deal with. You realize, and this is another great principle of life, you realize that everything in life that you and I do is a trade-off. There isn't hardly anything we do in life that we don't make a decision, that we don't trade something for what we just decided to do. And it's, it's just true. You see it all the time. Uh, you know, people have, have irresponsibility with their finances. They, they don't do what's right with their money. They, they don't have a budget. They don't follow any through with anything. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, five or six years later, they have enormous debt. They have all kinds of problems. And uh, other couples go out and do this or go here or go on vacation and go on that. And somebody, and you start to get a little attitude about it. You start to say to yourself, well, why can't I do that? Hey, time out. Let me tell you why you can't do it. See that? You traded this for this. Now, what's so hard to understand about that? You traded that for this. You're going to live your life the way you want to do it, do your life, run it the way you want, thumb your nose at the Bible, God, and, and do your own thing and, and maintain your own Christianity and think you're doing just fine. And when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to lose everything you had. You know why you're going to lose everything you had? And you're going to stand there and say, well, I don't understand this. God's going to say, time out. Let me tell you why this is the way it is. You traded this for this. You enjoyed your life down there. You did what you wanted to do when you wanted to do it. 
You didn't make priority church a priority. You didn't make the things the church was doing a priority. You made your friends a priority. You made your life a priority. You made your, your, your retirement a priority. You made all you wanted to do a priority. Now you're going to stand here and look at this golden millennial inheritance that everybody else is getting, and you're going to look at me and say, why? It's easy. You traded this for this. Is that hard? I mean, maybe it's just me. I don't think it's hard. I, and I just don't. I, I, I've seen it in every aspect. I've had people in my life over the years that get mad at me and, and uh, didn't like something that I did or something that I said or maybe they just got an attitude on themselves. And it was something that could have been worked out. It was something that there was no uh, reason why it couldn't have been worked out. And they get mad and they leave and they, they go to another podunk church and they're miserable the rest of their life. I get probably three or four letters a month from people 10, 15, 20 years ago. I don't know how many times I get a phone call late in the night and somebody's saying, man, I wish I'd have listened to you back then. If I'd have just listened, but I got an attitude about it and know I was right and you were wrong and now I get, I'm out here in California, I'm out here in Colorado, I'm out here, here, and I'm here. I can't find a church. Nobody believes the Bible. And, I, and they always say to me, I just wanted to call you up and tell you, I'm not asking you to solve my problem, but I'm telling you, I was wrong and now I'm stuck in a place where they have no Bible, they have no teaching, they have no church. I had it. I got an attitude. I lost it. I don't know what to do. You know what my answer is? Hey, It's simple. It doesn't require you staying up all night and figuring it out. You know what you did? God put you someplace, then you traded this for this. Enjoy it. You traded what God gave you for something that God never intended you to have. You traded it. And you can pretend how great you are and how happy you are, but inside... The judgment seat of Christ is coming, friend. You made a bet. Everything in life is a trade-off. My point being, in marriage, when you marry somebody, I'm not saying you shouldn't, not saying you couldn't. Bible says you can if you follow all the rules. I'm talking about the things you better consider. You better get the idea that this is the like the first time with all of the white, frilly purity and all of the stuff that goes along with it and all of the first time stuff. Let me tell you something. Paul himself said, such shall have trouble in the flesh. May I suggest to you some flesh troubles you'll have? You say, are they in there? No, they're not in there, but they're in the last 40 years of my ministry dealing with people. The first thing you're always going to have is an ex-wife or an ex-husband. Unless they're dead. But you're always going to have an ex-wife or an ex-husband. Now, ex-wives or ex-husbands, can they're, they're, they're scaled from 1 to 10. 1 being very good, 10 being, oh, my God. <laughs> no, you're laughing, but it's true. It's true. And you're going to have to deal with that. You're going to have to deal with that. It's one of those things where they're not going to go away. In many cases, they can get along. I've seen many, many cases over the years where it worked out very well because both people put God in it, the Bible in it, they do what's right, and it works itself out. That's, that's the way it should be done. That's what he's talking about here. But, boy, I've seen some cases where it won't. I've seen some cases, boy, they've been, disor- they've, they've been, they've been divorced for 20 years, and they both walk into a room and they're, 
You can just feel the radiation coming off of it. I told you before, I did a wedding one time. This guy had been married so many times. She married, I didn't know who all them parents were. And you feel like you're at a, at a show, you know. Will the real parents please stand up, you know. I mean, and then you make everybody mad because, like, it's my fault. How am I supposed to figure out this mess? Wear name tags. First wife, second wife, third wife, fourth wife. Do something. Help me. But it gets bad. Oh, it can get bad. And you better realize that that ex is going to be in there for a long time. Probably longer than you'd like. That ex is going to be there, and those exes, when they get a nasty ex, I mean, don't call them X for nothing. And I'm not talking about EX. I'm talking about X marks the spot. You know why? They, 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 can be, they can make life miserable for you because they know that they have you at somewhat an advantage. And it can get terrible. It can get terrible. It can get terrible. You need to consider that. You also need to realize that, that the person you're going to marry, if they've been married before or you've both been married before, you're going to have to have contact with that person. A lot of people don't like that. When, when I've seen it before when a woman gets married to a man who's been married before or vice versa. The husband says, I don't want you having any contact talking to him at all. Oh, really? That's an illusion. That ain't going to happen. Unless there's some extenuating circumstances, that's just not going to work. I've seen marriages where after they got divorced and a guy married somebody else that the guy still had a bond with his first wife. Woo! What's that all about? You talk about, well, you know, we've been, you know, why, why do you call her? Why do you do this? Why do you get involved? Why do you do that on such a level? Why are you over there fixing her sink, fixing her stove, fixing her refrigerator, fixing her pipe? Well, we were married for 40 years or 20 years or 10 years, and you know what? There's just a bond there. There, Get some unbonding stuff because it's got to end. Those things happen. They happen. And you know what? You have to know where to draw the line. You have to be able to look at between the two and know how to, and how to handle these things. You, this is what happens when people walk into these marriages and it's always, you know what your problem is? You're not proactive. We need to be more proactive. Hold hands. Kumbaya, my Lord. Let's sing my favorite song, Pine Tree. And here's the third one. This is a killer. Every day. If anything kills a marriage, it'll be this one. And that's children from a former marriage. Woo! Let me tell you something. If that ain't handled right, you're going to have a problem. And it really shouldn't be a problem because there's a real difference between biological and, and physical and spiritual parents. I, I'm closer to some of you than your own physical father. But I'm not your biological father. If I could be closer to you than your biological father by not being your biological father, but being your spiritual father, any father that gets into a relationship with a woman or a mother takes that same position. I may not be your biological father, but I'm going to be your spiritual father. The model was Paul and Timothy. If I do it in this family, why can't you do it in your family? Oh, I'll tell you why you can't do it in a minute. Most men marry women with kids, and they say, well, I'm going to marry the woman, not the kids. Most women marry men who have kids, and they say, well, I'm going to marry the man, but I'm not going to marry the kids. They're here kids. You're out of your mind. You are out of your mind. Listen, you, bet, you get into that scenario, Paul says, Paul says, not me, Paul says, like I said yesterday, I get a lot of flack. I didn't write the Bible. Quit giving me grief. I didn't write it. You say, I don't like what you're saying. I don't either. I didn't write it. 
My responsibility, God wrote it, my responsibility, just tell you what he said. Well, I don't like it. Well, quit taking that on me. Well, I don't know what to do. I got a great suggestion for you. It's a full moon tonight. Go up on a hill, take your clothes off, rub paint all over it, and scream. These are the concepts. You better, if you're going to get into this, folks, listen to me. If you're going to get into this, you better have a plan. And all parties better understand and adhere to the plan, and it better be a biblical plan. It just better be. A spiritual leader needs to grasp the reality of the situation. A spiritual leader in a family needs to provide a vision for the family. Habakkuk chapter 2. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, uh, verse 18, that where there is no vision, the people perish. That's true for a church. It's also true of your family. Whatever situation you find yourself, but in especially one of these, the spiritual leader has to take the responsibility and he has to provide the vision. I told you about the lady a number of years ago that I met over in Kansas. And we started talking and, and uh, she told me that you know, she was going through a divorce. And she was a very nice lady, and we talked back and forth, and I tried to give her a little Bible encouragement. And uh, I said, uh, I said, uh, uh, what's your name, ma'am? And she says, my name is Dorothy. And I said, oh, kind of lighten the mood a little bit, you know. I said, I bet you get a lot of, uh, I bet you get a lot of ribbon about uh, Dorothy, Wizard of Oz. She says, more than you ever know. I've been married three times. First one had no heart. Second one had no courage. This one I'm married to has got no brain. <laughs> I said, okay. If you're a leader, you got to provide the vision. I told that to a lady one time in a meeting when she says, I don't know what to do with my husband. I said, well, he's going to have to take the reins and be the leader. I said, it's the husband's job to provide a vision. She said, oh, he's got a vision, all right. It's a 60-inch. <laughs> He sits on his fat rear end with a beer in one hand watching television all day long. That's the only vision you're going to get from him. You've got to have a vision. It's your job. It's your job. It's your job. Get a vision. Get a vision. And if you don't know how to get a vision, then Habakkuk chapter 2 is the way. It lays the whole thing out. You can get a vision, but you're going to have to get a vision. I mean, you've got to realize that these things are what comes in. And then it's financial issues. Let me tell you something. How many situations I've been in where they've been married before and he's got two kids by one marriage and three kids by another marriage and he's got to pay child support so you've got to get a job and you've got to work extra hours so that you, and he's, his, his alimony is $1,200 a month, $1,400, whatever, however worked out for good kids. So here he is. You married him. You've got to go to get a job so he can make the alimony money, giving the money to her. Boy, the devil's going to have a field day with that. Don't tell me about these things. You're naive. I've dealt with these things for 40 years. 40 years. I've seen every mess they could ever get into. Every mess that anybody could ever do. I've seen these things happen time and time and time again. You know what the key to success is? Lose the Cinderella idea. Lose the idea it's going to be a storybook relationship. It may well be if you put the book in it. But you better know going in, Paul said, such is going to have trouble in the flesh. There's some things you better get down before you get into it. Don't wait till you get into there and you say, wow, why somebody didn't tell me? It's your responsibility to figure it out. It's like the Bible. You know what the judgment seat of Christ, when we all lose everything we got, all of us, 
You know why we'll lose it? God's not going to hold us accountable for the things we knew or the things we didn't know. God's going to hold us accountable for the things we could have found out, but we went somewhere else instead of being where we could have been to learn them. You betcha. You betcha. You need to look ahead. You need to look at what you're getting into. I'm not saying you don't marry the person. The person may have done everything you're supposed to do. She may have done everything she's supposed to do. They now may be the broke, the cycle, and be the most loveliest, kindest, wonderful, spiritual, Christ-like, Mary-like person you ever met in your life. But the baggage is still there. You have to be prepared for it. You need to look ahead of what you're going you're to have to de- deal with. You need to make it work. You need to examine your motive, your commitment, your endurance. I call this the walking on water syndrome because that's just about what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to have endurance, long-suffering, patience. You're going to have to have discernment. and You're going to have to have biblical principles. Well, look at the next one, verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. Woo, that's weird. Some of you are saying, well, this looks better already. <clears throat> and they that weep as though they weep not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of the world passes away. Now, here's what you got. Here's what you got. And this is a great concept here, great concept here. But it's a strange verse, isn't it? You just got married, We've just came through all these things about being married. We talked about due benevolence and the weaker vessel syndrome and all that stuff. And now he says, you just got married and now you treat your wife like you have no wife at all. Boy, a lot of guys know where that verse is at. That's not what he's saying. This is rule number 16. Rule number 16 is don't get too married, you forget the Lord. You know, marriage, like everything else in life, is a balance. And things change the moment you get married. You don't have your own freedom anymore to do what you want to do. Before you're married, you can go hunting, fishing all you want. Once you get married, you've got to put a stop to that to some degree. Once you have kids, you put a stop to it to all degrees. But life is a balance. Things change the moment you say, I do. I'm going to change that in my marriage from this point on. You're going to say, instead of I do, I think so, or I hope so. <laughs> Proverbs 16:11 says, just wait and a balance of the Lord's. Proverbs 11:1 1 says, a false balance is an abomination, but a just wait is his delight. You see, kids get married and they get so into each other that they knew to ever do anything for the Lord anymore. They lose the perspective of why God gave them marriage in the first place. You see, it's balance, balance. He says up there in verse 30, he gives you an example here. They that weep as though they weep not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not. Now, that's the example. That's a contrast. He says, he says uh, and they that weep as though they weep not. Now, a Christian weeps. But from the worldly standpoint, the Christian doesn't weep because a Christian shouldn't weep after foolish things, see? So you weep, but you don't weep. It's okay to weep after lost people going to hell. It's stupid to weep after some sad movie that you see that, that the people are, that are dying there and you're crying over down on the beach in Florida living it up with a million dollars. 
You do know that Psalm 56 says that God does have a bottle for your tears. You see, God's got all the bases covered. When you get to the judgment seat of Christ, he's not going to only look at everything that you did in your attitude of heart. He's got on that shelf up there a bottle, and that bottle's got your name on it. And every got thing is full of teardrops. And every teardrop in there is going to come out when God dumps it out, and those teardrops are going to hit the throne of God, and they're going to bust open, and they're going to say what they were spent weeping over. This is why he says, 2 Corinthians 5, the judgment seat of Christ is the terror of the Lord. Why, you think you can hide your sinful life and do what you want to do? You can't even hide your teardrops. He says, they that rejoice as though they rejoice not. You see, a Christian rejoices, but he doesn't rejoice in the foolish things. We talked about it a couple of Thursday nights ago, the seven things they rejoice over in heaven. They ought to be the things you and I rejoice over. He says, he says, and they, and, and they that buy as though they possess not. Christian buys things, but that's not all that he lives for because he realizes that life is not about possessions. You see the contrast into the world? And what he's saying here is the fact that he says that when you get, when you get married, you don't want to get, you're married, but you don't want to get too married that you go so caught up in the world's concept of marriage, you forget that God saved you and gave you that husband and wife to be a helpmeet for him, and God has something that he wants you to accomplish for him. And most couples, many couples, never get to it. They got so many issues that because they should have never gotten married in the first place that they just never get around to why God really wanted them to get married in the second place. And they're going to wind up at the judgment seat of Christ as God put them together, husband and wife, to do a job for them. And they're going to wind up hand in hand, naked and naked, because of the fact that they wasted their, not only their life, they wasted their marriage. It's bad enough to waste your life. It's something else to waste your marriage. Welcome to Reality Church. You see, the key is balance in your marriage. You don't lose the real purpose of why God put you together in the first place. And then he says in verse 31, and they that use this world as not abusing it for the fashion of this world passes away. Now that's a good verse. That's a good verse that shows you and I that uh, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. And because we're in this world, we use this world, but we don't abuse this world. What does that mean? Well, last time I looked in the Bible, softball is not a game we're going to play up in heaven. Neither is volleyball. Those are worldly things. But we take those worldly things and we use them for the Lord to win people to Christ, don't we? That's taking something that the world has, using it, but not abusing it. What would be abusing it? Abusing it would be to start a softball league out of our church or a Bible league out of our church that never puts Christ in the forefront. I told the captains when we started our, our, our league many, many years ago, in most church leagues, here's what you do. You get a bunch of people together to play volleyball, and then you're going to figure out how you're going to preach Christ to them. I said, we're going to reverse that process. Your job as a captain is to get a bunch of people to preach to and then figure out how to play volleyball. Christ has to be first. And when you use it, that is, means you take something that the world has and you use it for the honor and glory of the Lord, i.e. marriage. But it also you can lose your perspective. And the day we lose our perspective is we'll just become more interested in winning than we do winning people that come on the teams. And when you lose your perspective in marriage and you start to abuse it, Marriage is the worldly concept as far as two people getting hooked up and going through a ceremony. When you lose that concept, then you wind up abusing something instead of using it for what God wanted you to do. It's real simple. It's real simple. 
Then verse 32, 33, 34, and 35. Oh, here's another one. <clears throat> but I would, <clears throat> I would have you without carefulness. In other words, this is an old English phrase that says, you better be careful with this one. He that is unmarried, <clears throat> care for the things that belong to the Lord, <clears throat> how he may please the Lord. He that is married, care for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. <clears throat> There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I speak for your profit. In other words, there's value in this to learn what he's saying. Not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that ye attend upon the Lord without distraction. Now here's what he's saying. This is rule number 18. He's already told you that a single person can live closer to the Lord than a married person. And here we have another killer about marriages, and this will be, the, this will be another balance factor. And, of course, he's saying here that basically that if you're married, you've got to care about the things of the world. If you're not married, you care about the things of the Lord. Now, that sounds a lot worse than it is. The bottom line is that your dynamics change the moment you get you get, uh, you get married. Ministry is always ministry, but the dynamics of ministry change. Right now, when you're single, you have free to go out and do whatever you want to do as far as ministry is concerned. And this is what a lot of young guys can't get. And ladies, I might suggest to you don't marry one until he gets this because it'll be a disaster. Young guys today don't understand. They think that ministry is just going out there and beating them up for the Lord or going out and doing some great thing or preaching down a Joplin or, or doing uh, Bible studies or discipling somebody and all of those things. Now, that's very important. There's no question about that. <clears throat> but uh, if you don't keep the balance right, uh, you know, before you're, before you're married, you can do whatever you want to do. You can stay out seven days a week discipling, working with people, teaching Bible studies. You can stay out till midnight studying the Bible with your friends. You can do all that you want to do. The moment you get married, that has to change. And you see, for a lot of you young guys, and some of you girls maybe too, you think that's wrong. You think you're not doing the ministry now. See, you're too immature to figure out that when you got married, the dynamics of your ministry changed. Now, where before you were married, your first ministry could be all that you do. Now that you get married, your first ministry becomes that wife. So you don't go out and do everything. Now you start to meet her physical needs, her emotional needs, and her spiritual needs. Some of you think that if you're married to your wife and she wants you to stay home and watch a movie and you got Bible study planned with the boys, that that would be almost sin in God's sight, wouldn't it, for you to stay home frivolously to watch a movie while you could be out there learning the deep things of the Bible while your first ministry stays home by herself. Hey, don't worry about it. It won't be long that somebody else will be watching a movie with her. You better get it, guys. There's a balance in it. And when you decide to marry, don't get married if you don't got the balance. If you're going to get into a relationship, then your dynamics change. You don't have the freedom to do whatever you want to do. In truth, you get just as much done. Because once you become together, one together, then her ministry, what she does, and your ministry, what you do, all comes back to you. So in reality, you probably get more done than you did when you were single. But he writes that the way he writes it to tell you that there's some dynamics that you need to understand and you need to grow up and mature into that you realize that staying home with your wife 
going to dinner with her or doing something with her or doing things around the house to help her is just part of it too. You don't get this thing. Well, honey, I really need your help. I can't. You don't understand. I am up here right now and I'm just about to discover who the Antichrist is and I can't come down, darling. Me and God are locked into this thing and he's about to reveal to me and the door slams. She walks away and says, well, don't worry about it, pal. I already know who the Antichrist is. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> you better get it, guys. You better get it, ladies. You better get it. I mean, you got to realize that there's a difference between being the single and that dimension of a ministry and that mindset than when you take on a relationship. And the two ends of the spectrum. I mean, you either marry a bozo, the clown, who will never do anything. Or you'll marry somebody who is so spirit. Hey, let me just put it this way. Ladies, never marry anybody who's so heavenly minded he's absolutely no earthly good. If he doesn't take the time to spend with you to do what you want to do, if he thinks that going to the grocery store and going shopping and going these things or, or downsiding things when he's got to be out there doing the ministry, just pass him by. Here, get the song. Pass me by. It's in, the, it's in the songbook. Just take gentle Savior. Pass me by, O Bozo the Clown. <laughs> Pass me by, O Bozo the Clown. Hit the road, you idiot. Put it in there. It'll work for you. There's a guy up here in North that's got a church. I've known him since he was a kid. He doesn't like me and I don't like him. <laughs> Story of my life. This kid's been in every church growing up in our church not this church. Growing up, I've known him since he was 14 years old. Been a problem all of his life. Number one problem is authority. He's had an authority issue all of his life. When he got older, he got married, and, uh, and marriage is an authority issue, authority problem. All the way goes. He's been in every church in this city. Every church in this city, he has an authority problem with the leadership. Hey, what happens when you have an authority problem with every church in the city? What do you finally do? Start your own church or your own final authority. And uh, these, guys are, these guys are quite incredible. And uh, they would look at what we do. We would look at what we do on Friday night and Saturday night, playing softball, volleyball. They would look at that, and they would think that, that, they would think that we're the Antichrist church. Now, what this kid does, he preaches on the street. And if you'd go down to the plaza, I think they got kicked out of the plaza, probably down Westport where they're at, last I heard. You'd go down there, and they'd have these big signs, and they'd have people burning in hell, and they're down there calling women walking up down the street, whores, and they're doing all of this and all that. I went out with one of them one time when I was in Boston in a place. He had a speaker in his car with a microphone, a CB that had a PA on it, and we'd stop up at the thing, and we'd be driving someplace, and he would be women walking across the street or a man walking with a woman across the street. He'd turn the pee on and say, where are you going? God knows where you're going tonight, you whore. God knows where you're going tonight. You two going to sleep together tonight? God's going to judge you, you whore. He would, and he, then he hands the mic to me and said, here, have a go at it. <laughs> I, said, I said, parks, line one. <laughs> I ain't going to do that. That's stupid. But you see, if you don't do that, you have no ministry. If you don't do that, you're defying God. Who could think while we're out preaching on the street, you're playing softball? <laughs> Truth of the matter is, in 25 years, they never had anybody one to Christ, ever. They ever joined that church. 
I tell you what, in this season alone, we got more people coming to this church and saved than they got in the last 30 years of doing what they're doing. But he's stupid. He's unteachable. And he asked the aspect of, 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 of the mess that he gets in and he looks at those situations and he's so prideful and arrogant that he thinks that this is the ministry. And that's just the way a lot of young guys look at it and that's why they lose their families. You don't minister to her, somebody else will. You can take that one to the bank. You got to listen to her needs. You got to meet her spiritual and emotional and physical needs. It's more important. You have to realize the dynamics that have to go into it. Verse 36, 37, 38. Breathe easy now. We're downhill from here. If a man think he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age and need to so require, let him do what he will. He sinneth not, let them marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, doeth well. So then he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth her in marriage doeth better. Now this is number 19, rule number 19. And it basically says here, don't impose staying single on your child, even though the Bible continually says that's the best route. As a father... You as a father, you may know what the Bible says, that the Bible says that the best scenario is to stay single or only marry somebody that has never been married before, but we don't have a right to impose that. I mean, you do have a right to teach the biblical principles and show them all the ramifications, but uh, a father does not have the right to say to his son or his daughter, you can't marry because you're going to have a better relationship. That's not your call. That's kind of stupid when you're married yourself. But then there's a lot of stupid people out there. I don't know what to tell you. Verse 37 says, but if in your heart you can be steadfast in that concept and not burn, burn in the sense of lust like we talked about first, second week, he says, you're doing well, then stay single. Verse 38 says, either way, it's okay as long as you heed the rules and the principles that we've looked at in chapter 7. But it will always be less heteric if you stay single, but not everybody can. And it will always, if you do marry, it will always be less heteric if you marry somebody for the first time and both of you do what's right, but that doesn't always happen. See, you're under grace. All things are lawful. Not all things are expedient. Whatever way you choose to go, it's okay as long as you recognize that each one has different dynamics to it that you're going to have to deal with. And as long as you get prepared for it, bring it to the Bible, make the Bible work, get a plan, do everything that you're supposed to do that we've talked about, it can work. It can work. When you don't, it'll just be another disaster. You have to break the cycle. Then rule number 20, verse 39 and 40. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord, save man only. <clears throat> but she is happier if she so abide after my judgment, and I think also that I have the Spirit of God. Last thing he says here is the fact that <clears throat> this goes back to Romans chapter 7, 1 and back to the Old Testament, <clears throat> that the only <clears throat> accepted divorce in the Bible uh, from a biblical standpoint is death. And death is obviously flesh leaving flesh. And she, he says there, in a case like that, 
your liberty to marry whoever you want uh, <coughs> only in the Lord. In other words, bring it back even in that <coughs> under the guidelines of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And then he says, I think also I have the Spirit of God. <coughs> and that basically, we can make that say so we all understand. It. He's basically saying, trust me, I know what I'm talking about. These things were given to me by the Lord. I'm telling you the truth. You want to have a fruitful life for God. You want to get marriage defined in the right thing and make it no matter where you're at in life. And that's the beauty about God. God fixed it so whatever mistakes we have made along the way or whatever bad scenario you find yourself in this very moment today, there's always something you can do. And now you know that. It's not not the hard part. The hard part is doing what you need to do. I, every time I, almost without exception, you know, have a husband and wife come in and they'll lay out their issues and they're very severe many, many times. And then usually at the end, after they spill their guts for a while and rag on each other for a little bit, uh, the wife will look at me or the husband will look at me and kind of shrug her shoulders and say, well, what do you think? Is there anything we can do? I always answer, you know what? That's never not the question. It's never the question, is there anything we can do? The real question is, will you do what you need to do? It's always something you can do. But you've got to break the cycle. It starts with you, changing who you are. Okay, now use this as a ready reference. You now have the three sections broken down, chapter 7, 1 through 9, 10 through 24, 20 through 40. Got all the principles in the right place. Get that in your Bible. Go over it. You'll see how as we continue to move through things in the Bible and grow, that you'll see how this stuff gets used and how it works. And, uh, you know, we'll go from there. So let's have a prayer and we'll be dismissed. Don't forget... Phil and Barb want to meet with all the people who are going to get baptized very quickly up here. If you need to sign up for Get Baptized, sign up for Bible Basic, sign up for uh, next week at the anniversary Sunday or whatever, uh, please take the time to do that.